Good evening to you all. I want to start this talk by a description of how I used to spend Saturday afternoon when I was a child. So on Saturday afternoon in my family, it would be a not unusual thing to be taken usually by my mother down to the local church. We would go down to the local church and we would meet with the priest there individually and we would tell the priest basically what things we had done since the last time we went to confession that were violations of either the Ten Commandments or particular serious rules of the church. And when you talk to the priest, it was a very interesting thing because he would ask you particular questions that helped him discern you know, whether you understood what you did was wrong and how willful or how deliberate your, your uh, breaking of the commandments or these church rules were. And he would figure out whether you were actually sorry that you had done these things and whether you had an intention not to do them again. And if you uh, basically felt repentance or felt remorse, then he would give you very often a series of prayers to say, and then you, uh, and then he would give you forgiveness on behalf of the divine being. Now, this was an interesting institution that was present there within this particular version of Christianity, this formal mechanism where you could basically acknowledge where you had gone off track, where you had been in error, and start again, find a way to start again. So even though my little Protestant friends would sometimes say things like, oh, you Catholics, you know, you can do anything, and then you just go to confession, and it's all okay, and the priest tells you it's all right, it really wasn't like that at all. It actually... Uh, asked of you that you have a fairly high level of mindful awareness about what you had done, what your mind states were when you did it, and um, that you were pretty present to this. So even though it wasn't a ritual, it, it was a ritual, I myself experienced it as not particularly ritualistic, if you know what I mean. But I can remember in particular the feeling that was present for me after I went and said my Hail Marys or whatever my my little prayers were for, uh, you know, uh, being mad at my sister or disobeying my parents or, you know, stealing cookies or, you know, whatever the the transgressions were. But this feeling of um, starting again, this feeling that in some way, whatever the burden there had been there in my conscience was lifted, was relieved. And it's a very common thing in most 
religions that there be some mechanism like this, some way that we can step away from or reckon with or work with circumstances where either we have done something that we regard as wrong or unskillful or where we've been on the receiving end of what's wrong or unskillful done by someone else. If you think of it, you can imagine what it would be like if there was no way to be discontinuous with past errors or harm. So imagine there was no way. So then error would move sort of inexorably to more error. Harm would lead to more harm. There would be no way to interrupt the cycle. So once the bell was struck, once the deed was done, it would just sound, it was, would continue to sound, would be present in the system until at some point through the, its natural process of there being a, a half-life to everything, it would eventually run out of energy and stop manifesting. But it could be a very, very, very long time before that was the case. So this idea of forgiveness is a very powerful tool that allows us to find a way to confront, to relate to harm that we've done or that others have done. Often the things that weigh most heavily on us are uh, not things like these childhood transgressions of stealing the cookies or, you know, blowing off mom when she told you to do something and she didn't. Those are just kind of mini versions. But there are many things that each of us have done out of our nature of being struggling human beings that in retrospect we can look back and go, oh, what was I thinking? Or, ooh, that was a really bad one. Or, wow, that was really, that was wrong. That was wrong. Or we can have had the experience of being on the other end of those kinds of behaviors of other, other people. So forgiveness is an important thing. In some religions, it's actually enjoined upon you as a, as a duty almost. Christianity has this particular kind of emphasis, right? You had the, have the classical story of uh, Jesus dying on the cross and right in the middle of it, he forgives the people that he's, who are putting him to death. So within that framework, that's a very heavy uh, kind of example, a heavy emphasis in the whole system of spiritual practice. In Buddhism, it's held more in terms of letting go of suffering or wisely inclining the mind or developing and expressing the intention to be non-harming of observing sila, of not letting our own heart and mind be overwhelmed by uh, 
the suffering that has been caused by the actions of others and by determining that we are not going to be uh, the causes of suffering in the lives of others. And if we have been, that we're going to try to relate to that in a wise way. So when we're talking about the practice of, of forgiveness, we could say that it's a process of developing a skillful, unstuck relationship to the past harmful actions of ourselves or others. And it involves choosing the intention to forgive in order to end a suffering relationship with the story, a suffering relationship to the people involved, and to the current arisings which are related to it. So what does it mean to consider the forgiveness and the process of forgiveness? You know, there are an awful lot of words and emotions that can arise when we're uh, examining this particular topic. And a lot of these can even be in seeming opposition uh, to each other or contradiction to each other. So when I was thinking about this and developing the talk, some of the words that or phrases that came to mind when uh, in association with forgiveness were things like acceptance and letting go, and then there was regret, remorse, guilt, and shame, resistance, anger, withdrawal, rage, fear, judgment, condemnation, freedom, peace, acceptance, renewal, reconciliation, duty, obligation, putting on a false face, denial, making nice, liberation, detachment, and release. That's a pretty wide spectrum of associations that came just out of my own mind. And so I'd like to talk about this in some fairly specific ways in order to clarify uh, some particular points that I think can be tricky. So if we're going to look first at some of the reasons to practice or cultivate forgiveness, we could notice a number of things. The first is, there is suffering in life. The first noble truth. <laughs> sometimes it's generic suffering, sometimes it's... Uh, just the suffering of impermanence, but sometimes we actually cause it. Sometimes we have it inflicted upon us, and sometimes both of those things are true. But in any case, there is suffering. Sometimes we're directly responsible for our own or other's suffering. Sometimes suffering just happens in the operation of life. Now there's some interesting things about having a human body in mind. And one, one of the things is that our human body and mind, or our system as I sometimes refer to it, body-mind system, is actually geared to notice suffering and to avoid it. 
This is part of how we survive, how we stay alive. So it's a great paradox then that the way we sometimes respond to injury and suffering is to never let ourselves forget it and to keep it alive, right? We don't want that to happen again. So, and our body has ways to do this. So for instance, we know that difficult memories are stored in a, uh, a different way than non-traumatic memories are. So traumatic kinds of memories, the kinds that are often there when we've been harmed by others, or we've been in a situation where there's been a lot of harm done, are actually stored with a lot of flashing red lights and bells and whistles. They're stored in a way that's almost like the whole system is saying, remember that thing that happened, remember that thing that happened, you don't want to forget that thing that happened because that thing that happened could happen again and you really got to be on the lookout for that thing that happened. And so we have the, have the circumstance where there can actually be a kind of easily startled, easily revived fear, anger, fear response to something that happens that's even remotely like the original situation that caused harm or injury. So it's like the system is saying, don't forget it, hold on, you better be on guard, you better watch out. And yet, we can see that keeping our past suffering alive to help prevent future suffering is a suffering in and of itself. So then the question is, how can we learn to relate to this wisely? How can we break the hold of suffering and this involuntary attachment that we have to it? How can we open the mind to the possibility of freedom, of living in the present with wisdom, with the past taking its place as the past? And the answer to this, at least in part, lies in the practice of forgiveness. And you can see uh, the wisdom of this because unskillful actions, if they're not attended to wisely can create a kind of cul-de-sac where we're locked into uh, unwholesome relationship with the present suffering caused by these past events. Present moment suffering caused by past events. There can be an unskillful fusion to the source of this suffering, whether that's a person or an event or an action. So there needs to be a way to break loose of this round and around uh, cycle of dukkha, which sometimes can be so strong and so repetitive that it can actually seem like it's defying the very law of impermanence. Everything is impermanent. Everything arises and passes away, except this one thing, this sure seems like it's permanent. Again, it's this, this defensive uh, system that we have as part of our biological heritage that can keep these things going. So without the capacity to move forward, to let go and let things change, we can remain bonded to our most painful experience or closed around them. And we can tell ourselves all about it again and again and get stuck there. So in the, in the Dhammapada, the Buddha talks about this and he says, 
This is a section that's uh, sometimes translated as choices. And he says, uh, Look at how he abused me and beat me, how he threw me down and robbed me. And he says, Live with such thoughts. Keep these thoughts alive and you will live in hate. So forgiveness is the way out of this dilemma. It's a way to begin again, to unstick what's been adhered to suffering and judgment. The way to thaw what's been frozen, to begin to let things move again and to release things. Opening up choices, options, other than being chained to a cycle of reactivity to a memory of past experience. Now it's important to know that forgiveness is a process. This is a major point. It's not an act of will. It is true that intention is part of this. Volitional choice to begin. The intention to forgive is part of a decision and it's a choice coming from wisdom And this is the decision to no longer attach to the painful present results of unskillful actions of ourselves and others. So this is in part related to our understanding that it's in our interest to let go. Or in our interest to no longer insist on ignoring a truth. It's in our interest to no longer tell ourselves the story in a way which gives us so much suffering. But in order for this to be done with wisdom, of course, timing is important. Wisdom is always about the totality of the circumstances. So for instance, we have to be ready for the undertaking. We have to have enough stability of heart In other words, enough equanimity in the system. And we have to have enough feeling of safety. We have to feel that we are not in danger in order for us to be able to undertake this often challenging practice. So sometimes it's actually premature to consider this. You know, if you've just had something happen and you know, the whole system is inflamed in reaction to it, that's probably not the time to try to be doing forgiveness practice. That's probably more a time to be taking care of yourself, attending to what needs to be cared for within you. If you're still engaged (coughs) in tending directly to the, the original injury, that needs to come first, along with safety, and well-being, that needs to be secured first. Often we can begin this process of forgiveness in a very gradual way. So for instance, to make a step in this direction, you might begin by entertaining the possibility that you might, at some point, consider maybe forgiving. 
It's a step. And very often for these things that are uh, deep and hard, it's a big step. Just to even begin to entertain that maybe sometime you might maybe think about perhaps, think about forgiving, is the opening. That's the first tendril. It's the beginning. You know, the first root that can ultimately split the rock. So another clarification on this topic is that forgiveness doesn't mean denial. So it doesn't mean we minimize whatever damage has been done or blur accountability. So it's not about taking uh, delusion and uh, aversion and slapping it on top of this and calling it done. And actually, when you consider the circumstances in which forgiveness is often called for, very often it's circumstances in which basic sila or basic morality and the precepts that we just took tonight have been breached. That's very often where the harm took place, where sila was forgotten or ignored. And then the unskillful actions of body, speech, or mind actually caused the harm. So it's important to be clear about responsibility. Acknowledging what we've done in ignorance or what others have done. We don't want to let the harm go unexamined. We can learn to avoid the harm by considering how unskillful actions arose in the first place. In other words, what causes and conditions were there that led to that situation that went the way that it did. So this is a way of bringing the power of reflection, of consideration, forward in order to seek understanding. There's an interesting little conversation that takes place in the middle length discourse uh, called uh, Advice to Rahula. This is when the Buddha is talking to his own son who was uh, part of the community of monks. I always think when I look at that particular teaching that there's got to be an interesting backstory <laughs> going on there. Uh, I, I kind of think that Rahula was stealing the cookies or something there. Um, but anyway, so the Buddha was talking to his son about uh, these issues of skillful and unskillful unskill- actions and how to work with them and how to understand them and how to watch his thoughts and behavior and things like that. So they were uh, onward leading. And he told his son that in order to purify thought, word, and action, he would need to recognize and admit mistakes. And then interestingly, what he told him was that uh, he should acknowledge the unwholesome action to his teacher. He said, you know, open it. You want to open what you did that was unskillful and basically put it out there. 
and then you would want to undertake restraint in the future so you don't do the same thing again. So, you know, maybe the Catholics and the Buddhists aren't so completely different after all. So we want to examine the harm done, we want to examine the causes and conditions to come to an understanding about what it was. In other words, to make it conscious. In the case of our own unskillful actions, we want to identify what we did which was unskillful. By opening up to the harm that was actually caused, we can allow ourselves to feel why we don't want to do something like that again. And that's important, right? To understand the why we don't want to do that. And we can feel the kind of remorse the Buddha was talking to his son about and the resolve with a a sincere heart not to repeat this again. So in order to make this renewed commitment to sila, to skillful action, we need to let register the painful nature of the outcome. Ooh. This is why I said you need to undertake this when the mind has some equanimity, right, and safety in it. So then, we're talking a little bit earlier about resolve not to do it again. But if uh, upon examining what was bound up in the, in the doing of what was unskillful in the first place, we might get some really valuable perspective or really valuable information. So we might decide, for instance, in order to be able to refrain from doing that particular kind of thing again, creating that future harm to ourselves or others, we might need to get uh, psychological or psychiatric counseling, or we might need to uh, you know, give up all use of substances and join a 12-step program, something like that. We might decide that we want to make restitution or amends uh, directly, or we are willing to allow someone to apologize or make amends to us. I had the experience once of having somebody call me up like 15 years after probably the last time I had ever seen this individual. And she kind of called me up at work out of the blue and she said, hi, this is, you know, do you remember me? And I said, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. And it wasn't, you know, it hadn't been... Uh, a good working relationship. And she said, I just wanted to let you know that, you know, I've joined a 12-step program and in the, um, the process of working the steps, I've recognized that I, you know, did some things in my work relationship with you that were very unskillful and ver- very harmful and manipulative and I want to apologize for it. I want to take responsibility for it and I want to apologize for it. It was very powerful. It was a very powerful experience to be on the 
the receiving end of that communication. And I, I could feel, and I, you know, I wasn't even really conscious that this was still being carried on my heart, but I could feel it just like unwind a crank or two. And I can remember saying to it, yeah, I, yeah, it wasn't exactly a successful human relationship, was it? And we both laughed. We talked a little more, and that was it. But it was, it was powerful. So this is part of the way that we can release the ties to other th- others that have the nature of hatred or fear or resentment, guilt or shame, anger. And I, I want to talk a little bit about the difference between the wisdom of discernment and guilt and shame. Since we're on this topic of taking responsibility and examining and acknowledging and trying to be skillful in relationship to, to this particular practice. So a first thing to say is that there's a way of taking responsibility for our actions, which is not skillful. And that's to use whatever moral failings we've exhibited or uh, unskillful things that we've done as some kind of proof or some kind of evidence that we're bad and worthless human beings. Don't our minds tend to go that way? Kind of dualistic. It's like, oh, I did this thing and it was unskillful and it caused harm and oh, I'm such a shit. But you know, this really isn't skillful and it's self-centered in a particular kind of way because when we're functioning like that, instead of becoming clear about what behaviors we need to change and taking responsibility uh, to do so, we kind of collapse into this... uh, reverse narcissism uh, state where we make it all about us. So a way to put this is that shame and guilt are suffering states. There's no doubt about it. You know, when we're in the republic of I'm a shit, it's very painful territory. But to relate to them in unskillful ways undercuts the real work, which is the work that needs to be done to liberate the mind and actually avoid future suffering. So getting caught in guilt and shame disempowers the mind because it loses confidence in its own potential to evolve towards greater wisdom and towards liberation, right? It's like taking a snapshot of your worst moments you know, putting a big red arrow around it and saying, it's me, see, this is me, this is how I am, this is what I am, this is how, what I'm like. Well, no. <laughs> Actually, it's not. But you can see the reification of self in relationship to suffering, which is part of our suffering of identification this claiming of a fixed self-view, often very unskillfully formed. So this is part of our delusion. So 
So even if when we've gone through this process of working uh, with forgiveness, with the intention to forgive, coming to some clarity about what's uh, involved, making, inclining the mind towards it, using intention to actually do it, taking those practical steps that I've described that might be skillful. There still be, may still be stuff going on, even after we've done all of those things. So, even if, after we've done this kind of work, we may still experience the continuing arising of things like anger, sadness, fear, remorse, guilt. So what we need to do then is to learn to work with those with metta without closing around these feelings or identifying with them. So a way to understand them is they're, they're kind of a karmic residue. So they're a little bit like um, these, uh, these belts of space debris around the earth, you know, this space junk that, you know, it used to be a something and then it broke up into pieces, but every once in a while it still travels through the orbit. You know, every once in a while, parts and pieces of this may still arise in the consciousness, may still move this through the system, may still be there to be met. And then we just need to continue to meet it with wisdom, with kindness, you know, not demanding that all of it be gone forever or else it's not working or anything. But just over time, meeting with it with mindfulness, meeting it with kindness, seeing it break down into smaller and smaller and smaller pieces. So we commit to work with these difficult states in a way that serves our own liberation. And it might involve things like getting additional support and training in things like uh, somatic experiencing, for instance, to assist the body and mind in learning how to let go. Because the letting go isn't an act of will most of the time. Have you noticed that? Now I want to talk a little bit about reconciliation. Which I would define as an attempt to repair and reestablish relationship between or among the parties involved in a situation of harming. So that phone call that I described earlier, that was a reconciliation uh, for me. It restored my sense of relationship with this, this individual uh, and put it on a wholesome footing. Sometimes you see the operation of reconciliation on a societal level. So for instance, in South Africa, you have the Truth and Reconciliation uh, commissions that were set up after the fall of apartheid where they were uh, trying to find a way to deal with the fact that many terrible things had happened in the culture many acts of violence in uh, the effort to uphold apartheid and there needed to be some kind of accountability but they wanted to try to do it in a different way they wanted to bring forward the truth. They wanted to give people the opportunity to take responsibility, but they wanted to do it in a way that was wise and not punitive. And Nelson Mandela himself, of course, was one of the 
uh, people that modeled this. You know, he actually had uh, extended an invitation to his inaugural as president of the country to someone who used to be his jailer. And there, there the guy was sitting there right in the, I don't know, the VIP box or something, watching his former prisoner get uh, sworn in. And there have been other examples of that. But this idea of reconciliation, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes it's actually inadvisable. There are circumstances where looking at the totality of the situation, it would be actually harmful and unwise to reconnect to somebody. You know, maybe somebody really doesn't want to hear from you. (laughs) Or, you know, maybe there's somebody that has caused harm that you've experienced that, you know, really is destructive and dangerous. So that's when I was talking earlier and I said, you know, you really, there needs to be some wise examination of the totality of the circumstances. That's how you can tease apart whether it's, you know, some magical thinking about, you know, making it all better and making it all nice with somebody or whether there's, there's wisdom in it. So we may attempt uh, to reconcile with the person or we may not. We may communicate with people, we may not. We may have a continued connection with them, we may not. So there are wisdom issues that cause call for a larger context uh, to be considered. And certainly, forgiveness should never be used as a should. You should forgive, you should forgive, you have to forgive. You know, you have to make nice. (laughs) It's not that. This is about your own internal understanding and decision to find a wise way to relate to a particular set of circumstances that are active now, that are current experiences arising in relationship to something which has happened in the past. So there is a place of remembering in all of this as part of the learning. Remembering with discernment and not adhering to suffering. These are two different things. Often uh, when we think about some great historical sufferings or tragedies, you could hear phrases like, never forget. You know, this is often said in regard to the Holocaust, of course. We must never forget. We must always remember. We must never forget. And it's important that we remember certain things in order for our wisdom to grow, in order that we can avoid the causes and conditions that created the original harm. So there are stories to be told. 
important stories to be told. Historical stories to be told, personal stories to be told. But the question is, can they be told with metta? Can they be told with wisdom? Because the truth of it is, you know, there is multi-generational trauma. This is a truth of human existence. There are historical harm and revenge cycles. If through our own power of awareness and through the practice of forgiveness, we can change the rules that require a blind response of a deeply conditioned, unskillful nature to harm, we can liberate us all. But that's what it takes. You know, sometimes when I look, for instance, at the Israeli... Palestinian situation. I see the politics of it. But my my mind really goes to the, oh, this is trauma. This is trauma. The reason this is so difficult to reconcile is so many of the people involved in this situation are operating out of fight, flight, freeze. They can't access the higher potentials of the possibility of compromise. So by thinking of how we can work with circumstances where harm has been done, and we can move that experience into the light of awareness, into a wiser understanding of how to relate to it, into discernment, we loosen up this link of automaticity that drives us from suffering to suffering to suffering to suffering, from being abused to abusing, to creating harm to being harmed, this link that goes around and around and around and around if we don't learn how to actually interrupt it. So let's let our mind then rest in these truths, which are, all beings have the potential to purify their minds. This cannot be lost no matter how many obscurations there may be. We don't lose this intrinsic potential by our own unskillful actions and neither do others. All beings are the heirs to their karma. We and everybody else are always planting seeds that will arise in our mind streams and in our own lives. Thus it is in our own interest to plant the seeds of our own happiness and well-being and to support others in planting the same. All beings, unless fully awakened, cause suffering to themselves and others through ignorance and the actions flowing from it. We all, we all create harm. But the truth is, 
the past is gone. All things are impermanent. Once the bell has been rung, it cannot be unrung. It's happened. However, the way we deal with its echo in the present determines whether we can minimize the suffering of ourselves and others. To live in hatred and resentment is to forego our own happiness. To live in guilt and shame is to forego our own happiness. Letting go is true peace. The Buddha says, look at how he abused me and beat me, how he threw me down and robbed me. Abandon such thoughts and live in love. These are teachings of non-harming and wisdom. Let's share the blessings of this promulgation of the Dharma and the hearing of the Dharma. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.